0: We are walking through the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. It's been a lot of fun, and uh, I've, I've really enjoyed myself uh, walking through this. Um, it's such a great reminder of what really matters and in the simplicity of the, the truth, the Gospel. And, um, and so I, I think it's been quite beautiful. I'm, I'm excited to continue that today. Um, so we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 9. And uh, we're going we're gonna, to uh, kind of share a few verses there. But I, I want to build to that uh, and, and talk about kind of where we are in, 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 in the story. Uh, Jesus has just finished the famous Sermon on the Mount message. And uh, he has descended the mountain where he presented that message. And uh, last week we talked about the first thing he did coming down the mountain was he encountered a man who had leprosy. And uh, he healed that person with leprosy and, uh, and freed them from the bondage of their own disease. And so it was quite beautiful. And uh, I wanted to walk through. I, I'm not going to read these, but I'm just going to point them out. Uh, it just miracle after miracle after miracle that happens starting at that moment. And so all of chapter 8 into chapter 9 is just a series of miracles Lives being changed, transformed, it is incredible. And so just to broad brush, of course that was Matthew eight, the first few verses, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Uh, Matthew eight one through 13, you get uh, that plus uh, a centurion, his servant, and uh, is paralyzed, and, and Jesus heals that person as well. Uh, in verses eight through fi- uh, I'm sorry, 14 through 15 in chapter eight. Uh, Jesus is at uh, Peter's house, and he heals Peter's mother-in-law, who is struggling with a fever, who is sick in bed, and, and, uh, and he heals her. Matthew 8, 16-17, uh, Jesus uh, casts out demons of, the, the way that the Bible puts it, many people. So we don't know how many, but many people are brought to him. He casts out demons from them. Uh, in, in Matthew eight twenty three through 27, we get this very familiar, famous story of Jesus sleeping in a boat uh, as is crossing uh, to the other side of the sea. And, and so here are the disciples in the boat awake uh, and overwhelmed by a storm that uh, they feel like this, this is it. And, and so they wake him up and they actually say, uh, we're dying. This is it. And uh, and Jesus uh, brings peace first and foremost to their hearts. He 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 brings up the fact that hey guys, where's your faith? You're not trusting me. I'm in your boats. We're good. And uh, and then he calms the storm itself. And so then Matthew eight uh, twenty eight uh, verse twenty eight, uh, Jesus delivers two men who are uh, demon possessed, and the Bible says they are quite violent and aggressive. He casts these demons out, this is kind of cool, dramatic Jesus fashion, casts them out and sends them into pigs, a flock of pigs, a murder of pigs, a pod of pigs, whatever, a grouping of pig, a sty is where they live, but you know, um, uh, a pig um, (laughs) grouping, and uh, a congregation of swine, and sends them right off, the lemming style, off the side of a cliff, and it's it's pretty incredible. And uh, Matthew 9, verses 1 through 8, uh, a paralytic is brought to Jesus. And, uh, and he heals that paralytic and says, uh, hey, buddy, take up your bed and go to the house. And so beautiful moments and powerful moments. Uh, and, and these powerful moments are, are incredible to read and to consider. But put yourself in the, in the shoes of the folks that this happened to. That's where the, the, the serious power is, is that uh, the, fee- the people that were affected by this and actually are liberated by the love and grace of Jesus. And so um, all this leads up to his introduction to the, the documentarian of this very book, Matthew. So uh, we're going through the Gospel of Matthew, and this brings us to the introduction of Jesus meeting Matthew and recruiting Matthew to be part of his team. And so what I'd like to do for uh, the remainder of the day today is just spend some time uh, on that story and on that encounter, on that meeting, but also uh, tying in together all these encounters that Jesus had previous and even after uh, and the significance of those things in in what he says and, and does in in, in recruiting Matthew. And so uh, we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. If you want to follow along there, uh, verses 9 through 13. And uh, we're going to put it up on the screen, and this is what it says. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up, and he followed Matthew. Jesus. And then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and the sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy, who need a physician But those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire compassion, not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, We don't, we have some kind of, um, there's some speculation in the order of the disciples uh, when they were recruited, especially after the first four. Uh, but not to get into, into that because I don't think it's important uh, for us today. But um, just to consider, Jesus in, in, in Matthew's documentation has already recruited four guys to be part of the team. And specifically, four people from a uh, an area called Capernaum. And Capernaum is in the northern part of Israel on the Sea of Galilee, and and these four people, it was uh, it was Andrew, who brought his brother Simon, who later is called Peter, to Jesus, and they were uh, they were made part of the team. And of course, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the th- sons of thunder, which sounds like they're like the tag team champions of the world, uh, or a rock band. And so tonight opening for Aerosmith, Sons of Thunder. Uh, So it's four guys who are all found, encountered by Jesus on the beach and they are fishing because that's their trade. And that's the primary occupation uh, of folks in this community. It's the primary trade. And then they would work within communities beyond that. Uh, to bring to bring that uh, fish to other people around the, around the area. And so but this is primary, the primary function of, of men in that region. They would be fishermen primarily. Um, but there was another guy who lived in the same area. So this is in the same community and I might even suggest that possibly the four disciples who were recruited who were fishermen knew Matthew had encountered Matthew at some point in time. That's speculation, that's, but it's also probability. And uh, Matthew is not a fisherman. Matthew is uh, hes a tax collector working for the Roman government. And so uh, you pick up a theme when you're reading through the New Testament and the Gospels. You pick up a theme. And uh, I, I don't know that any of us, if you work for the IRS, God bless you. Uh, I hope that you love your job. No one else likes you, and uh, I pray for you. Because <laughs> it's not a not a fun, popular job. No one no one gets a call from the IRS and like, yay! Uh, we don't we don't get letters from the IRS and, and click our heels, expect something great. Uh, this is so much worse. And, uh, and Matthew, just to, just to kind of put some some um, you know some context to it. He has, uh, he's decided to choose a career that is lucrative. We know uh, with other stories, Zacchaeus coming up, uh, that, that, that this is a lucrative career where you can actually make a lot of money. And, uh, and the, 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 the career is to, uh, to take, to siphon taxes from the Jewish people and to feed that into the Roman government. And they were unfairly taxed historically. This was uh, some gouging going on. But on top of that, a tax collector is extra uh, evil in the eyes of the Jewish people because he is he has turned his back on his own people, and he is uh, chosen this career because he is greedy. There's no other reason. You don't do it because you want to be popular or be liked. You do it because you want to make money. So he's turned his back on his own people to to be greedy. And then you would unfairly tax people. You would add extra taxes. You would even turn up the dial on communities of people because your cut comes from the taxation that you're, that you're putting on the other people. And so especially uh, you would see chief tax collectors were like mafia bosses. And they all got a cut of everybody's, uh, what they would take at the, at the tax window. And so they're, they're just gouging this community, crippling them financially. So Matthew has a very controversial career. And um, he joins the team. Jesus says, I want you to come follow me. He joins the team and he is alongside uh, at least four other disciples and his very presence would represent tension and and some pain to the other disciples. So he comes in, and he's already uh, he's already an issue. His presence is problematic already. And so uh, I, I would uh, I would go out on a limb and say that most likely Matthew has lost friends. He's lost family he has lost uh, certainly his reputation and uh, and so he has sacrificed a lot and lost a lot because of his decisions and so to say that Matthew was found at a place of need i 'd say would be an understatement and so once you 're out there you 're out there and so the the, the promise of wealth and and, and and power and fame and notoriety is is luring and then once you you have to engage in this career, and then you realize it costs you everything. What, what does a profit a man to gain the whole world but, but forfeit his soul, what actually matters? And so he is experiencing that and living that. And so he was in need. He was lost. And, but then on this fateful day, because Jesus rolls into his town, he's found. So what was once lost is found. And then in, in, in a very uh, a live action kind of playing out of the parable of the prodigal son story, the, the prodigal son is found and then they throw a party. So Jesus throws a party. and This is what the Bible says. It happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house. Now, we don't know. Speculation is that this might be Matthew's house. We don't know. It might be an Airbnb. Who knows? Behold, many tax collectors and sinners, many tax collectors and many sinners came and they were dining with Jesus and his disciples. And then the Pharisees saw this and they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? Now you got to think, and again, this is me assuming, you got to think that the Pharisees pulled aside the fishermen, to make this statement. Because they're not going to tell Matthew, can you believe these tax collectors? He's one of them, and they know him. So you've got to think that they pulled aside the, the fishermen. Because it's kind of a, it, it's kind of a, resp- I mean, listen, this is not, they're not the, uh, the top tier, this is not the rich and famous fishermen, but you, it's a respectable career. You can go home and put, sleep well at night, because you're, at least you're not turning your back on your people, you're, you're benefiting other people. And so you've got to think that even they, uh, they were pulled aside. And, and this is mentioned to them. Why is Jesus lowering himself to the point of having dinner with these kinds of people? So continuing with the prodigal son story. The lost son is found. They throw a party. And the older brother is furious. And the Pharisees would represent the older brother. And they are, they are completely incensed. They are furious that uh, a man who claims to be sent from God, God's man, would be lowering himself to commune with. Now, at, at this time, you don't casually eat with people. To sit down and share a meal is to basically share family. And so you're saying we're part of each other's lives. It's an endorsement of the person you're eating a meal with. So Jesus is... Um, dining with sinners. Now the Pharisees often felt the need to point out the obvious. And uh, you see this throughout the ministry of Christ. They would point out the obvious. Does Jesus know that these are sinners? I I think he's aware. Yes. Uh, They did that with the woman bursting into the Pharisee's house. Jesus is having a meal with the Pharisee and and the lady barges in and And the response is, if you knew her reputation, if you knew, do you know? They deal with Zacchaeus. If you knew the kind of guy he was. They're always, they're they're Captain Obvious, pointing out the obvious. Have you ever, have you ever gone to a a door at a store or restaurant or something like that? And you go to push it. And you, you realize quickly, I've made, I had a 50-50 shot at this and I made the wrong decision. I'm pushing with all of my might. Either it's locked, or it's a pull, and there's always someone behind you. You, you got to pull. Oh, I'm so glad you told. Next thing, my next option was going to be reach from the bottom and lift it up like it's a garage door. Oh, pull. Okay, thank you. I was going to have you help me push. I didn't know what was going on. It's like, come on. Captain Obvious, thank you. Yes, absolutely. We'll speak on that. I, I was at Kohl's the other day, and I'm never at Kohl's, but Kohl's, the, Amazon has this weird thing where they're like, hey, retor, return this, and then the, go to these random places. <laughs> it's like an Easter egg hunt. Go to these random places all over town. You can return it, not at the post office, no, 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 not at UPS. Go to Kohl's and return it there, or, or Whole Foods. I'm like, okay, all right. Well, I, I went to Kohl's. And uh, I, I'm not there much, so I go in, and I have, uh, I have total success. They have automatic doors, and, and so I walked in very normally. And then I go to leave, and for whatever reason, I was, I was, I was thinking about Jesus, and um, I was praying for you, most likely, and I'm kidding. So I'm, I'm, I go to leave, and I, you ever wait for the automatic door? I was at the, the side of the automatic door that doesn't move. The stationary part. And the part that moves is over here, and so I'm, I'm looking at and of course, there is one gentleman who uh, hates Coles so much that he would not even go into the store. He stood in the little breezeway lobby area. he's sitting there uh, in a chair that i don 't know where he got. He bought it at Coles and just bought it so he could sit there say, "Honey, you shop i'm going to stay right here and watch idiots try to navigate this door and so I, I stand there and I'm like, "Oh Jesus." Can you just open this door for me? <laughs> Can you make this a door? Because I look like a moron. So I had to do the old back up and shuffle. like nah, 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 nah. Ridiculous. But luckily he didn't say anything. And make, you got to go around. Thank you. Thank you for not saying anything. So uh, these Pharisees are the annoying people who state the obvious. You know, you know these are bad people, right? Y- yes. In fact, that's why I'm, I'm with them. That's why I'm sitting with them. And so Jesus' response to the Pharisees. This is what underlines everything that has already happened in this, the the previous chapter, in this chapter, and what happens after this moment uh, for the rest of this chapter. This underlines all of these miracles. This underlines every encounter Jesus has and every miracle he performs is uh, is summed up and underlined by this statement, his response to the Pharisees. They didn't say to him he overheard them. And he, he chimes in, he says, "Hey, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion, not sacrifice. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners." This is a, a theme throughout the life in ministry of Jesus. There is this common, constant theme of he, uh, he is constantly and consistently offending the righteous, uh, religious, self-righteous, religious community with his open, welcome, and obvious care of obviously broken people. Sinfully broken. Uh, physically broken. Spiritually broken. He is constantly ticking off the self-righteous religious community with that open, obvious, blatant care for the people that he shouldn't even associate with. This is such an issue and there's such tension here that even when he heals people who have been desperate for years, the criticism is, you healed that guy on the wrong day. It's Sabbath, you broke the rules. He's healed, though. He's been suffering his entire life. Yeah, but you did the wrong day. Obviously, obviously, the care and concern was not for the people. It was for the rules. They were in love with the rules. And Jesus was in love with the people. What religion is, and I use that word a lot, and I, and I, and I, I sometimes I think about maybe... Uh, I don't give proper definition to it often enough. But the way that I use the word religion is uh, is different than being a Christian. Different than having faith. Um, religion is man's attempt to take our own priorities and our own sensibilities and then transfer those things onto God. So, what works for me, I need to make sure that that's how God works. So, I'm about a meritocracy. I'm about deservedness. I'm about two strikes, three strikes max, you're out. I'm about hierarchies, elevation. I'm about promotion. I'm about deservedness. That's not how Jesus works. In fact, we try to, religion is trying to transfer what works for us onto God. And then Jesus brings something altogether different. I heard one author say, I love this. He said, Jesus didn't just come to uh, redraw. We're trying to color within the lines And Jesus didn't come to bring us better crayons or draw a new picture to color in. He flipped the paper over. It's upside down. It's counterintuitive. It is backwards. Grace will, I could preach, I will preach it for the rest of my life. I've preached the grace of God for for many, many years. And I will continue to preach it until I, as long as I breath in my lungs, I'm going to preach the good news of God's grace. And nothing else. But I promise you. As long as I've been preaching it, as long as I've heard about it, as long as I've read about it, as long as I've considered it, it still doesn't make sense. And it won't. It's otherworldly. We try to make natural sense of something that is supernatural. It's not going to happen. It doesn't fit in my brain. And that's why it's this external trusting. That's why I need to keep hearing it because it doesn't fit. We forget it because it doesn't fit into the traffic patterns of this world. So we have to keep hearing it because we, we, we can't retain it. It's too big. So this supernatural king and savior does something unheard of. In his very limited, extremely limited time on this planet, in human flesh, in presence with us, he chooses to spend the vast majority of his time with the least and the last and the lowest. Why? Because they need him. Jesus is not moved by deservedness. He's moved by need. This is where religion begins to crumble. Because religion is always building on the the understanding of deservedness. And that's not how Jesus works. And he doesn't work that way because if he did work that way, what do I deserve? I deserve hell. And everyone's thinking, man, he must be pretty bad. Well, we're in this together. And we don't deserve what we think we do. Here's the bad news. None of us are nearly as good as we think we are. Here's the good news. Jesus is so much better than you think he is. And then his goodness is more than enough to compensate for our ungoodness, our badness. Our righteousness, filthy rags. But we're not leaning on our righteousness. We're robed in his. Jesus is more than enough. And what he is moved by, what he has gravitated towards, what, what the, the, the flame that, the, that he is attracted to, like moth to a flame, is our need. He says it. I didn't come. I'm a physician. Jesus If the solution to our world's problems was political, God would have sent a politician. If the solution to the world's problems were intellectual, God would have sent someone who is built on intellectualism. He sent a physician. Why? Because we're sick. There's a sickness. It's not that some are good, some are bad. We're all sick. We all suffer from the disease of sin. Everyone does. So Jesus comes as the great physician. And then he he makes it known in this powerful, important verse. And again, this verse underlines all the verses that surround it. I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. I didn't come for the self-sufficient, I came for the desperate. He says, I didn't come for the righteous, I came for sinners. Now, we think that, we'll read that as Jesus is drawing a line and saying, some people are righteous and some people aren't. That's not at all what he's saying. What he's saying is, some people think they're righteous. That doesn't mean they are. The category that we live in is not good and bad. The categories that we live in are aware of our, our, our badness or convinced that we're good. It doesn't mean we're good and bad. The Bible says that one is good. We all fall short. There, n- there is no, not one righteous. No, not one. One. Jesus alone is good. And so what he is gravitated towards is those who realize and recognize they aren't. The self sufficient, he, he is a gentleman in leaving them alone. Because there's no open, there's no open door. There's no opening for him to bring himself to it is rejection. I'm good. Don't need you. Take care of the, the weak ones. There's a, a famous song. Perhaps you heard it. Uh, they are weak. He is strong. To little ones, he, they belong. They are weak. He is strong. Little ones. Little ones are weak. The children, they're weak. Oh. They're weak. They need Jesus. They are weak. He is strong. That song would be way better if it would present an accurate truth to say, we are weak. I am weak. He is strong. Not they. I. But those terms are not popular. We live in a self-help society. We live in a self-sufficient society. We live in a, a, a world that, that is built on self-motivation, self-salvation, self-interest. This is an egocentric world. I'm the star of the movie. Everybody else is supporting cast. And we know this. I was at uh, McKay's the other day. And this, this kid was doing a, a, a documentation with his phone of himself walking through the the store, and so he's filming himself in McKay's because that's the show that people watch. This guy in McKay's, so I photobombed a few times. Don't worry about it. Uh, so, but I, that's the world we live in. It's just like these people. Forget these people. It's me. So, the the folks that Jesus encountered, the story after story, people that were broken. Physically, they were broken spiritually, they were broken mentally, they were broken because of their circumstances. He, they didn't earn his attention. They, they were desperate for it. They didn't earn it. They needed it. He's a physician, so he goes to the unwell. And yet so many are convinced that they are well on their own. I want to read this, uh, this is one of my favorite verses, Hebrews chapter 4. And this ties in so well to what's happening. So Hebrews 4, 15 through 16, um, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus has felt, he's been tempted, he's felt human flesh and frailty. He knows what we're going through. It's not that he's distant, far off, he's felt it. He's one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet... He has not sinned. Therefore, now I I, I want to underline this. Let us draw near with confidence. Uh, Other translations say, boldly approach the throne of grace. So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Now the dichotomy here is interesting. Boldly with confidence approach Jesus. Why? Cuz we need him. Approach him in our need. It doesn't boldly approach it doesn't say boldly approach Jesus the throne of grace because we deserve to be there. Because we've earned our way there because we're Qualified because we have a resume. It doesn't say in your time of success. It doesn't say in your time of of, of celebration because you've done so much for him. It doesn't say boldly approach the throne of grace with a sacrifice, with a fattened calf. It says come to him in your lack, in your need, in your desperation, without. Cain showed up with a sacrifice. Here you go. I grew this. This is the fruit of my labor. Look how great. Abel showed up with nothing. Until suddenly in the in the periphery of his of his hearing meh, Jesus himself supplied. God himself supplied the sacrifice. Everything that God wants, he provides. What do we bring to the table? Nothing. Anything that God wants, he supplies. He wants my faith. Okay, he does. Yeah, you're right. But he supplies that faith. He he wants my faithfulness. Yes, but while we are faithless, he is faithful. He supplies our faithfulness. Draw near with confidence. Boldly approach so that we receive mercy, find grace, and help in time of need. Uh, In his response to the Pharisees, Jesus quotes uh, the prophet Hosea. And uh, it's a quote from Hosea 6, verse 6. And the quote is, uh, I desire compassion, not sacrifice. And so he even, even makes sure that they understand, go, go learn what this means, go think on this, say la, go, go consider this. So he's encouraging the Pharisees to study their Bible. And if they go to that story, what they find is a story about this great and mighty prophet of God who is holy and respected and revered and heard clearly and spoke clearly the words of God. And God clearly said to Hosea, I want you to go find a wife. And Hosea was like, yes, I hear the Lord and I obey. This is great, great news. Who would you have me marry, Lord? And God says, I want you to marry Gomer. It just sounds like a Disney princess name, doesn't it? Gomer. Golly! Shazam! <laughs> There's five people that know that reference, but I appreciate you guys. That's great. Uh, Gomer is not only known for her beautiful name, but like Matthew, she has a sketchy career. And uh, she is, she's famous in her community for being a lady of the night. A lady of the evening. So God's man, God's mouthpiece, God's prophet is commanded by God himself to marry a prostitute. So he's obedient. And old habits die hard. And so Hosea keeps waking up to an empty bed. Because Gomer is, keeps stepping out. He keeps finding her in other men's beds. And so he would take her home and clean her and restore her and love her. And his love was the very definition of unconditional because every out that he had, I mean, after the first time, it'd be very convenient to say, God, (laughs) this was a bad idea. I try to tell you, but legally I'm out. This is ridiculous. God gave him the grace to stay with it. And this story culminates with her disappearing for good. And in that moment, I'd be like, thank you, Jesus. I'm done. But one day he's traveling through town and there's an auction block where they are auctioning off slaves. And he sees a familiar face. It's a tattered remnants of his wife. Gomer, who is being auctioned off. And so he does something that I cannot for a second imagine that I would do. He goes and liquidates everything he has and purchases his own wife. Now, that's not a transfer of property. That is to release her from slavery because he's restoring her as his wife. This is where the, the statement, I desire compassion, not sacrifice, comes from. It is Jesus who makes all the sacrifice. We are the bride. And this is speaking historically to the people of God at this time. This is speaking to Israel. But the, the story doesn't stop there. We step out on him all the time. Are any of us faithful? I wish to God I could say I am. I wish to God. I'm a pastor. I should be able to say, yep, I'm totally faithful. I'm not. I doubt all the time. I fear way too much. I, I look everywhere but Jesus most of the time. And I would love to stand up before you and and inspire you by saying, guys, I, I, love, I, I like the thought of being an aspirational leader. <laughs> it's like, do as I do. Follow me as I follow Christ. But I, I find myself, even in preparation of messages, wanting to say the exact opposite. And saying, if you want to know what to do, just do the opposite of what I'm doing. Because I am a professional failure. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at the weight of this. I'm not good at the the mental aspect of this. I'm not good at the emotional aspect of this. It's it's. I'm just not naturally adept. In fact, I, I'd say I'm way beyond my depths. I feel that there's a new thing that's come up over the last several years. They call it imposter syndrome, where people have to struggle with the mental aspect of feeling that they don't deserve and they, they, they don't belong where they are and doing what they do. I feel that pretty much 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But then I'm reminded of that story and so many others where the focus and the attention is not to hate Gomer. It's not to despise her. You're, you're inspired by the goodness of Hosea. What does Hosea's name mean? Salvation. He represents salvation. That you can't outrun it. You can't, it, you can't break it. You can't shake it. The book of Romans says that there's nothing you can do to separate yourself from the love of God. It is so much stronger than anything you could ever do. I've been chosen. I've been saved. I've been redeemed. I've been rescued. That's the focus. What's Gomer's name mean? I'm glad you asked. These are great questions. I appreciate you guys asking these. Gomer's name it means complete. Not what I would have expected. <laughs> complete. What is that? She may not act like it. In fact, there's one point where, where in, in, in Hosea, he writes, you, you can stop playing the harlot. And even the phrasing, stop playing. It's, That's not you. You might not act like it, but the Bible says in Colossians, in him you have been made, have been made complete already. Not will be made not if you get the promotion, if you change jobs, if you move, if you get a nicer car, if you, if you upgrade, if you change your life somehow, if you get married finally and have another kid, you will be, no, 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 have been made. Complete. So Jesus says, think about this story. This is what my ministry is about. This is why I'm sitting down with a needy because there's so many who just think that they got their stuff together. They don't need me. I came for the needy. And revelation comes with the duality of this thought. I am simultaneously, it's what Martin Luther said, simul justus et peccator. Simultaneously, I am both justified and sinner. At the same exact moment. Same guy, same moment, nothing's changed. I am right now 100% sinless before God and 100% sinful before you and before me. In that same way, I am, I'm Gomer. I am, at the same time, 100% complete. And at the same time, 100% desperate and in need. Those aren't mutually exclusive qualities. In fact, that's the posture of a believer. I'm full yet desperate. That's the, that's the prayer. Pray like this. With thanksgiving for what you need. What I have with what I need. Boldly approach with confidence. You're only confident, you're only confident if you're prepared and if you have. Boldly approach com- with confidence in your time of need. I want to close with the last verses of Matthew chapter 9. And we'll wrap up here. And, and this is sort of the, uh, the call to action. This is the, uh, the marching orders that uh, are culminated with all this beautiful, saving grace and, and, and healing power that Jesus demonstrates. Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus was going through all the cities and the villages. And he was teaching in their synagogues. And he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom And he was healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them. It wasn't being impressed by them. It was compassion for them that moved his heart. Because they were distressed. They were dispirited. They were like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the workers, the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into this harvest. Um, I, as I said, feel pretty inadequate and ineffective most of the time. But then I'm reminded of the types of people that God works through and he chooses. He chose a guy like Matthew who was completely disqualified. In fact, he was a he was a cancer to the team. He brought strife and division with him. Just his mere presence was tense. I don't know about you, but I, I feel unlikable oftentimes. I even say to my wife, I don't, I don't think, including myself, there's a, a very long list of people who like me. And then I'm like, but Matthew, though, my, his own family couldn't deal with him. Matthew's name, do you know what Matthew's name means? It's a great question. It means gift from God. <laughs> God's gift. Matthew means God's gift. He's also called Levi. And, and Levi is a, a name that his parents would have given him. And that means uh, Levi is taken from the priestly tribe of Israel. The priests. These are the priests. So his parents had high hopes, and I'm sure he was a young man, but I'm sure probably late teens, early 20s, his parents were like, where have we gone wrong? This is not the priest we raised, but then his story's not over. We're we're sitting in a room reading this documentation of this numbskull about the most important thing that's ever happened in history. Didn't see that one coming. God only uses the unqualified. Only. He only uses the needy. He only uses the desperate. And he talks to these needy, desperate nobodies and he says, Guys, the harvest is ready. People need good news. Let's go give it to them. And he's saying that to his team of misfits. And he's saying it's all ready. We need the laborers. Who are the laborers? The people that he's been healing and restoring and inspiring and loving. Who are the least, the last and lowest, the disqualified because he gets the glory. They don't. He does the work. They don't. It's in our weakness his strength is perfected. And God bless those who got a lot of weakness. And that's the one thing I can raise my hand for. And it just so happens to be the currency of the move of God. That in our weakness, his strength is perfected. It's magnified. It shows up the biggest, the boldest, the brightest in the weakest, darkest places. So may this amazing story. About Jesus dining and spending his time with his feet up, reclining at a table with the sinfully broken, the morally broken, the unpopular, the unqualified. May this underline the significance of right where Jesus has us. Now, you may not be morally bankrupt, and to that I say, great, but we're all broken. We're all weak. That weakness, that brokenness, that need shows up in different areas and aspects. But may we never lose sight of our desperate need for this great physician to be with us, to carry us, to fulfill us, to to, to give us what we need to live this life. We're in constant need, abiding in the vine, for Jesus to deliver on a regular basis. Walking and living by faith means I need you to show up because otherwise I sink. It's relying desperately on his grace because that's all we got. But that's all we need. And through us, he can do unbelievable things. I'll close with this. I'm a student of culture, which means I people watch. I try to study. I try to learn. I'm trying my best in my old age to stop criticizing and jumping to conclusions. But it's very, very hard because people's music today is awful. The hairstyles. I I know Jesus took mine away from me because I was unfaithful with little or unfaithful with much and God gave me a little. But I'm looking at the hairstyles today. I'm like, oh, my gosh, the Harry Styles. i 'm becoming Mr. Wilson <laughs> I grew up Dennis the menace i 'm becoming Mr. Wilson, but in in my attempts to not judge, but just to watch and observe what this world is hungry for is not another know it all is not another proven commodity who 's got a reputation and a resume. What moves the heart of humanity and the The hope of humanity is Christ working through people at the back of the line who are willing to get their hands dirty. God gives grace to the humble. And by the grace of God, I'm part of the most humble church that I've ever experienced. And that's not because of me. That's because of Jesus working in you. And I'm overwhelmed and inspired by it. And that may we never sell ourselves short what we carry, and the impact that we make. Not because we're gregarious, over-the-top, charismatic presenters, because the humility and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus shines through the cracks in our lives. Authenticity, just being real and being human and being weak and being in it together is the most powerful, beautiful amazing, moving, work of God, miracle that one can experience in modern culture. The harvest is plenty. May we be willing vessels to carry the ministry and to be the laborers to do the work.